God, we, uh, we say that, that we believe the invisible world is just as real as the, the visible world. What we don't see is just as real as what we do see. And um, so as we look into your word, uh, the Bible, um, the collection of accounts and uh, historical stories and all kinds of things you've given us to understand you because you reveal yourself in these words, would you help us to see and hear what you're trying to say to us and what you want to show us? Would you give us eyes beyond our human ability and ears beyond our human ability to hear and see from your world into how you want us to respond to you so we can become the kind of people that you have designed us to be and that is full of your life, full of your energy and your power and your love and your mercy and flowing into others around us. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> this, and how many of you remember the TV show? This is not exactly the same thing. The game show Concentration. Remember that? Yeah, those of you who are like 40 years or older know that. Anyway, this is not the exact same thing. There's a picture behind this. And as I move, remove each uh, image, and don't say it out loud. Let's wait till we get all the things done. So if you figure out what it is, it, it's, gonna, it's an image that comes from a movie, all right? That's the clue I'll give you. It's an image that should spark some, uh, it showed up in a movie, all right? So again, please don't blurt it out. If you blurt it out, you're gonna ruin the whole thing for everybody else, okay? All right, I think the blue trapezoid goes first, all right? That's image number one. Don't, don't say if you know what it's from yet. All right, uh, I think the red triangle's next. All right. Now, just, just show of hands, anybody know what movie this comes from? Oh, we, got, we, got, we got a handful of intelligent people or just overly movie-obsessed people. All right. Uh, I think the yellow oval comes next. Any more people have an aha moments yet? Any more? Some of you may not even get it when they're all done, so that's, that's sad. But anyway, um, the green rectangle, all right, it says leap of faith. Um, then under it says uh, walking on air. Any more aha moments? Anybody, how many people now think they know what movie this showed up in? All right. All right, somebody, just, somebody can blurt now, please. All right, Indiana Jones and Last, Last Crusade? All right, Last Crusade. This is, if, you're, if you saw the movie, he's got this little sketchbook that has all these clues about how to find supposedly the Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then this, this book was the book. He had all the clues in it, and he's trying to read all these clues. And this was one of the pages in his book that said, Leap of Faith, Walking on Air. And so as the movie go, un unpacks, his father... No, go back again. Go back a second. second. His father is uh, dying. He was shot, and he has to... In order to save his father, he has to get to the Holy Grail so his dad can drink the life-giving cup, you know, things like that. Anyway, he comes to a point right here where you can't tell from this picture, but in front of him is an incredible chasm that looks like there's no bottom to it, and the other side is probably as far away as I am from that wall. And he has to get over there. And he's trying to figure out, how do I get over there? Because there's no ropes, there's no steps, there's no swing to swing over on. And he opens his book, and the clue is a leap of faith. And he's like, leap of faith, leap of faith, leap of faith. And then it kinda, you can tell it kind of clicks. Oh, I've just got to walk on air. I've got to jump here. And if you remember this thing, this, if, 
If I could get uh, a high-quality picture of this particular poster and put it up in my room or my office, I would, just the sense of him right here, and he's like, okay, here we go. And as soon as he hits what would be the air level, what appears is, go ahead, is all of a sudden this, oh, you can't tell, it's too dark of a picture. All right. Anyway, it, what appears is all of a sudden a walkway appears. And so he has to take this leap of faith where he has this movement and all of a sudden, but nothing appears till he puts his foot down. And this whole idea of a leap of faith is a large part. And then, of course, he, can, he wanders through the, the maze, finds the cup, saves his dad's life. So he takes a leap of faith for the sake of someone else. All right? A leap of faith is a term that... Uh, kind of was coined, it's a credit to a guy named Sjorn, Sjorn Kierkegaard, who was a, um, a theologian in the last hundred years from Europe. And the whole idea is there are times in our life, and he actually said all of Christianity can be described in this term, in a sense, there are times when you have to leave one state and get to another place, and sometimes there's no amount of logic or rationality that would, that would tell you how to get from there to there. As a matter of fact, it doesn't always make sense. And so sometimes, you, not sometimes, you do have to take what he called and what others have then called it more in a fuller way, a leap of faith, not blind faith. It's usually based on some good presuppositions. It's a good based on the uh, character of God. But there's a step you have to take. And once you take this step, you can't go back anymore. You can only go there or figure out what's in between. Kind of like a trapeze. You know, you let go of one bar hoping somebody else is going to catch you. And he said, there's many times in the Christian life where you have to do that. Not just one time. It's not just one, I believe in Jesus, I've done it, now I can swing the rest of my life. And be. It's a whole ongoing series of times where you have to take this step of, an active step of, boom, here we go. All right? Here's the question for today. And the question is, have you taken a leap of faith lately? Um, and a leap of faith being in that active I mean, there's times where people say, you know, we have to let go and let God, which is kind of what I would call, and there's times for that, kind of a passive faith. We just have to trust God and not try to make things happen. But there's many, many times and many, many stories in Scripture, as a matter of fact, many stories in Scripture, most stories in Scripture, where someone had to take an active, irra- what appeared to be an irrational, not always justifiable but they couldn't see the end of the story and God asked them to take a step toward the end of the story even though they had no idea what was going to happen and so the question for you and for me is have you taken one of those steps lately or is God putting that on your challenge plate lately some kind of a step that pushes you out of your comfort zone because that's what a leap of faith will do it will push you out of your comfort zone one of the analogies I use sometimes is I don't know much about aerodynamics or satellites, but I, I'm assuming this might have some degree of truth to it. A satellite orbits the Earth, and it's held in orbit in part by some degree of a gravity, you know, gravity, the force of gravity. Well, in order for that satellite to get out of that orbit, again, I've never tried this before, I've never been in outer space, you can't just nudge the satellite. Because nudging it, the force of gravity is so strong, it will snap back into that same orbit. What it needs is a rocket booster to blow it out of that gravitational cycle and, and go to a whole new gravitational orbit, all right? Rocket boosting implies some degree of turbulence. A leap of faith is a turbulent thing. If God asks you in some smaller or bigger way to take a leap of faith into the unknown toward 
something he's asked you to do, you will experience some degree of turbulence. So again, the question is, have you taken one of these steps lately? Or do you sense God may be putting one on your plate in front of you and you are already feeling the uh, pre-feelings of turbulence? You're kind of feeling some pre-step anxiety, all right? The next one. So we, we, what we say at Exodus, we talk about stretching beyond comfort. And for the last, oh, I don't know, a few months before Christmas, we were doing the Gospel of John. Went up through chapter 6. We're going to put a pause button on that now. And for the next six weeks, maybe between now and spring break, we're going to be doing a series uh, because this idea of stretch beyond comfort. Because we've talked about at Exodus, that's our strategy, all right? Now... But the series, that has, how we're going to go about it the next couple weeks, is not just going to be stretched beyond comfort. It's going to be stretched way beyond comfort. Because I think for some of us, myself included, stretched beyond comfort, yeah, I, I, I give some, I tithe the church, and I do these things, and I, and I do go to church, and I know my neighbors know that, and I know that I could suffer some degree of reputation. Most of us have a pretty comfortable stretch already. What I'm wondering, and I'm asking, and I'm challenging you and me both, is is there, a, is there another way beyond comfort step God may a- be asking of you or be asking of us as a church? All right, because stretch beyond comfort, to some degree, has become comfortable for us. So what does it mean to stretch way, become, way beyond comfort? And are you and am I willing to exercise trust? I suppose trust is like a muscle, that if we don't really have to trust God in anything the muscle might atrophy. I mean, most of us have houses over, you know, shelter over our head, clothes to wear, food to eat. We, most of us have the, the essential things we don't have to trust God for. And I'm not saying we should, you know, all of a sudden throw that away and just see what happens. But maybe there's some aspect of your life where God's asked you to leave behind and, and trust him and see if he's going to lead you to a whole new kind of life that will have a whole degree of blessing toward other people that you never imagined. All right? Now, to do that, we're going to go to the next one. To do that, we're going to, we're going to uh, go through a series of stories in the Old Testament where there are people that were asked to step a leap of faith and stretch way beyond comfort. First story is going to be from Abraham in Genesis 12. But I want to start off with this way. No flash forwards. By that, I mean this. Most of these, well, all the stories in the Bible, we know how they end. We know that when Abraham was asked to step out to a new country, that eventually got there. We know that when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, that he didn't have to. We know that when Indiana Jones put his foot down, the, wa- the, the walkway showed up. But I want us to get, jump into these stories not knowing, trying to get right into the story where it is because Abraham had no idea what the next step was. Don't, let's have, in other words, no flash-forward thinking. So, well, that's easy. You know, Abraham did that, and look what happened. He didn't know that was going to happen. And there's all kinds of possible ways where God may ask you to take a step, a leap of faith, where you really have no idea what's going to happen. So as, you, as we kind of put ourselves into the biblical story here, or any biblical story, don't, uh, try to avoid the flash-forward thinking. Try to avoid the fact that we know how the story ends. And then try to say, well, how would, how would that have happened then, not knowing what ends, all right? Do you understand what I'm saying with that? So no flash forward. Let's jump into the story um, as it is. It's kind of like, uh, what's that, is it, uh, what's the show, what's the movie about uh, National Treasure? 
you know, where the, the, pic, the people can jump into the pictures and the pictures become alive, if you haven't seen that movie. So I want us to jump into the story here. Jump into the story as it was, not knowing how it's going to end, all right? So Genesis 12, here's where it is. Abraham is, lives uh, initially in a, town, in a city called Ur, and this is kind of in the Middle East, you know, Iran, Iraq area, that kind of area. Uh, we're told in uh, the book of Joshua that Abraham's family worshipped other gods, so he wasn't necessarily a god worshiper. He was, had multiple idols and things like that. Um, he was, ends up going to Haran, and then God ends up leading him to the promised land. All right? But Abraham didn't know. He had never been there before. So we know how the story ends, but let's just start right here in the city of Ur and then in the city of Haran as Abraham makes kind of this uh, journey. All right, Next one, here we go. All right, Now, the Lord said to Abram, one more thing context-wise. Abram's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Noah. All right. Noah had three sons. One of them was Shem. Shem's line, boom, 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 Abram. All right. Part of the reason I think scripture does that for us, and I'm glad God does that, is because it anchors the story in reality, as opposed to just some kind of mythological person. But we sow the whole genealogical line, and I think God does that because he wants to realize these are real people who had real ancestors and really lived on the earth. So they're not any different than you. They're real people. All right. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, let me go back to the beginning here. Um, like other situations, we don't know exactly how Abraham heard this from God. We often think, well, Abraham must had some kind of a special message from God, or it was a voice talking like this, leave your, you know. It, it could have been, been an internal impression Abraham had, no different than the internal impressions you have sensed perhaps from God. So again, let's not make Abraham some kind of a specialized person who had specialized capacity. He was a person just like you and me. So somehow he had this sense that God was inviting him to this major step. And again, this is Abraham who, who may have had some religious tones about him, but we don't have the sense that he was a, this devout God follower. But something about this urging, this prompting he had was compelling to him. All right? And the primary verb that's part of the step that God's asking Abraham to take is leave. Leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's father's family. So it's this, something has to be left behind in order for you to go. You can't do both. And if you're like me, you'd love to live a life of faith as long as you can hold on to both trapezes, you know? Well, can can I hold on to this one until this one shows up? But what God often does, in this case in Abraham, is like, you know what? I want you to leave, let go, and I'm going to bring you over there, but you're not going to know exactly why, where, how, or why yet. We don't, I don't like that. I'd rather have a firm grip on both and then swing that way. But God's like, no, you let go of this secure lifestyle. Leave your country, your family, or go this way. All right? Um, it's not, and again, if, you just, if we just jump into the story, then Abraham had to have some degree of... He was wealthy. We know he was a wealthy man. We know he had a lot of, he had a big family, he had people working for him, he had a lot of cattle. 
I, I try to think, like, what, what was the conversation like that night with his wife, Sarah? Sarah, we're going we're gonna to leave. Where are we going? Well, God's going to show us. That, uh, that's all you're going to tell me, Abraham? Yeah, that's all I know. I mean, maybe it took weeks or months. We don't know if this happened the very next day or what. But it's interesting that often the God's call on our life involves us leaving something behind. In order for Abraham to be the blessing, in order for you and I to be a blessing to others and to have a capacity of the life of God in us that we've always imagined we could have that would be filled filled with joy, in order to have that, we've got to let go of something. Because what the orbit we're in now, the life I'm living now, it works for me. But I'm not that person yet. I'm not, I don't want this large capacity person who has the ability to pour out the life of God to others. And so um, you can't have both. You can't maintain the comfort status quo of your life now and have what God wants for you. It's like one author I read said, we have two, we have these, we have these two desires in our life. We want a nice life, but we also want to be a part of God's big adventure. And he said, the reality is we cannot be committed to both. You can't be committed to, I want my nice little life, my comfort, my red pickup truck, and my two kids and dog, and I want my nice little life, and I want to be a part of God's great adventure and see what he can do in my life. And God doesn't give us that choice as our primary idol, at least. Our primary commitment has to be one or the other, and you've got to make a choice. Abraham had to make a choice here, all right? Here's the question I'm going to ask for us today is, what might God be asking you to leave behind? Is there some way in which God may be saying, okay, I want you to step away from this pattern of life you've established. And he may be asking you to step away from something that's not evil. It's just become uh, a weight to you, a burden to you. Maybe he's asking you to step away from a certain career plan. Maybe he's asking you to step away from a certain expectation of financial security in your life. So to some degree, maybe he's asking you to step away from some money or some hopes, some dreams. Maybe he's asking you to step away from the ways in which your relationships have functioned, even though you know there's a lot of dysfunction in your relationship. And God's saying, leave that behind. Leave that behind. There's a whole new way. And you're like, yeah, but if I... If I let go of this, I may not have... I remember talking to a guy who was a pastor, actually, who was uh, in the middle of an affair. There's a guy in Michigan, so nobody knows this guy. And he, was, he, w- he wanted to go back to his wife, but he didn't want to leave his girlfriend because he was afraid if he left his girlfriend, what if my wife doesn't take me back? So he kind of had this, isn't, one, isn't the bird in the hand worth more than two in the bush? And just, I think we all understand that we, you know, we may not have been in the same kind of situation. We all understand the sense of, but what I have is at least something. If I let go of this and tell this woman or this thing I'm done with you, what if this other thing doesn't work out and I'm left with nothing? And, and what, if, what if I do, what if God asked me to do more, let go of some financial stuff? What, what if I can't make my house payment a year from now? Or what if, what if, what if, what if? And we're stuck in that in-between land. And so the question is, what might God be asking you to leave behind? Not that God loves just making you leave things behind. He loves what he can make you to be. And he knows leaving behind 
has to be a part of that. The reason this story is so important is this is, the, this is like the defining story of the whole Bible story, including the New Testament, about what faith is. Abraham's story, and we'll look at part two of Abraham's story next week. It's like every Jewish man, woman, boy, and girl knew the Abraham stories. And that was the stories of faith. This was what faith was. Somebody who was willing to step away, leave behind, to go to something unknown. All right? With confidence, with a God that is known. All right? The, the, Jesus talks about this with the Jewish people, about you think you're children of Abraham, but you're not. because you're, you know. So this is, this is the, if, if you want to know the story of the Bible and understand the whole context, you've got to understand the story of Abraham because that's the story of faith. All right, next part of the passage. All right, so question again, what, what might God be asking you to leave behind? Next part. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Wow. Okay, I'm doing that. I'm leaving. Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Well, again, we don't know if that was a 24-hour turnaround time, 24-day turnaround time. We don't know if he had intense conversations with his wife. We don't know if he had all kinds of questions and wondering, was that really God that I heard or something else? All we know is, he heard what God asked him to do, and he responded. He departed, as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. It was his brother's son. His brother had died. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. That was the city up here. Abraham started in Ur, went to Haran, heads toward the promised land. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan, all right? He had never been to Canaan before. He didn't know what he was going, getting into, going toward, or anything. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in the part that we refer to often as the Hall of Fame in terms of faith, and there's an aside here real quick. You know, when Denise asked that question about what do you want to be famous for, uh, I thought, well, we, should, we probably should add, for that particular exercise, no overly spiritual answers. You know, I'm going to be famous for winning the many people, that, you know, whatever. But to some degree... There, are, there should be some desire in us to be not famous for the sake of adulation, but famous in faith. And so Hebrews 11 is a list of those who were famous in faith, ordinary people, men and women just like you and me. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. And this next line is the line that I think, for me, blows me away. He went without knowing where he was going. It's like, God, can you at least give me a little bit of a roadmap here? He knew God was going to be showing him the place, but God didn't say, here's where you're going, here's when you'll get there, here's what will happen when you get there, and here's a little bit of deposit in advance so you can be confident this is going to happen. He went without knowing where he was going. He had no idea what he was getting into. He knew who was asking him to be getting into that, but he had no idea what he was getting into. As a matter of fact, there's one point where he asks God again, God, I don't understand. Tell me how this is. And God says, oh, by the way, this land is going to be yours and your inheritance and your, all your relatives. But in the, before that happens, they're going to have 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And it's like, what? really? I mean, you want me to take this step? And in this case, Abraham was asked to take a leap of faith that he knew would never happen in completion in his lifetime. That's faith. We, 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 I'm, I'm willing to take a leap of faith if I at least know before I die I'm going to see the fruition of it. 
But God actually told Abraham, you know, your relative is going to be in slavery for 400 years. So Abraham's probably doing the math and thinking, I'm 75 years old. And I know people live a long time then, but he's probably thinking, I probably won't be alive when that happens. So you're asking me to do something now, God, that will have its final promise fulfilled after I'm dead. But he does it anyway. He left. He went without knowing where he was going. Um, he walked away from a relation, you know, God may be asking you to walk away from a relationship, a career path, a financial hope for security, or whatever it is, and God hasn't told you yet what's over there. If you're like me, I, I, I don't like to get into the game until I know how the game's going to end. But more often than not, if you want to ch- see your faith grow and the capacity of your heart grow, it's when God asks you to do something that you no longer have any sense of ultimate control over. All right, here's the question from this passage. Go ahead. Will you trust God or will you demand a plan? Are you going to trust God? Not, again, not blind trust, not stupid trust. It says, okay, I just trust God. I'm going to sit here, you know, Abraham, it wasn't like God, Abraham was like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to trust you, God. I'll just wait here till you throw me into the promised land. Abraham, it was kind of an, it was an active faith. He still had to do things. He still had to exercise his faith by heading a direction and somehow being led by God. But we're not talking about blind faith. When people talk about blind faith, that's a naive faith that's kind of like, okay, I just have confidence God's going to supply my needs and I'll just wait here till he does. Uh, one of my favorite books in the last few years is a autobiography of George Mueller. George Mueller was a pastor in Great Britain in the middle 1800s. At one point, he decided that it was God's leading to him to tell his church, I don't want to sour anymore. I'm going to have confidence that God's going to supply my needs. Then he actually started an orphanage that eventually served three and 400 orphans in a day where there was no social security or orphan care from the government. And his commitment was, I'm not going to ask anybody for money. I'm going to have confidence that God will supply my needs. And he even said, now in saying, I was reading just part of this this week. He, he even wrote, this is a, his, his journals basically. So it's kind of interesting reading because he actually, every day he, like one day, you know, February 8th, 19, 1842, he talks about we don't have enough money for food tomorrow morning for the orphans. 300 orphans, no food. Don't have enough money for coal to heat the, the, the I think they had three, orf- three homes at that time. Don't have enough money for that. This is like, he's writing in the afternoon of February 8th. And in the evening, he said, here's the evening, February 8th. The Lord has not yet sent us what we need for tomorrow. And then February 9th, I went to the orphan house and somebody had just come three, or three minutes earlier that they felt like God had prompted them that morning to give us money. Now, what Mueller even says in here is, by trusting God, that doesn't mean I'm just going to sit here and God's going to manufacture gold coins and drop them in our laps. He still had to go through a very active faith, trusting God, praying, asking God to intervene, and asking God to move the hearts of others to supply the needs of the orphanage. So the blind faith would be, okay, I'm going to trust God that he's going to manufacture dollar bills and just drop them in my wallet without me knowing it. What a a great way to live. You know, I'm going to look at my checking account one day and all of a sudden there's going to be a $1,000 deposit and it's going to say anonymous. All right? Or it's going to say God. And that's blind faith. No, but that's blind faith. And again, let's, let's be honest. Some of us 
either have experienced that or we know people who we feel like are living in that kind or we see things on TV and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's like you have to have an act. There's an active faith. We work out our salvation. We follow God's lead, but we don't become irresponsible and uninvolved people anymore. All right? But the flip side, though, is, which a lot of us fall into, myself included, we demand a plan. Okay, God, I... You're taking me to Canaan. I want a map right now. I want a timeline. I want to know where the gas money is going to come from because I want to know I'm going to get there and still have all the comfort and financial security that I want. And so we demand a plan from God before we take that step. So we either demand a plan or we go to blind faith, but somewhere in between is, no, I'm going to trust God when he's leading me here. All right, next one. One of the things that Jesus said in... uh, John chapter 8. I'm jumping to the New Testament now. Again, keeping in mind that all the Jewish people knew the story of Abraham. And they're claiming they're Abraham's children because they've been circumcised and they're Jewish people. They have Jewish blood in them. Therefore, we're good with God because we are the descendants of Abraham. And Jesus basically tells them, no, you're not. He doesn't say it that way, but yes, we are. No, we're not. And, And then Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things that Abraham did. If you truly are people of Abraham's descendants, of his seed, you would do the things that Abraham did. And again, what we're looking at today is one of the things Abraham did was he left behind and trusted God with an unknown promise. All right, here's the question from that as we get closing here. Are you doing the things that Abraham did or are you willing to? Are you willing to leave behind security, the comfort that you think is comfort, but it's not the kind of comfort that God would have for you? Are you willing to do the things that Abraham did? And then next slide, um, will you invite God? This is a little different, different step here. Will you invite God to stretch you way beyond comfort? Will you ask God to challenge you? Not in some kind of a, I love pain, I love suffering, I'm going to be pseudo-spiritual here. But if you say to God, God, I, I know I don't really have to trust you right now in my life. I have food, clothing, shelter. And I'll acknowledge that maybe some here that even that is a trust for you, and that's, I'm not trying to demean that aspect of your life. But for most of us, for us to say to God, okay, God, challenge me. Challenge my trust muscle here. Jostle something around in my life. Ask me to do something that's going to require me a greater than just a comfortable stretch or a beyond comfort stretch, but I want to go way beyond not in any kind of spiritual machismo, macho, but just I want, I want to be that kind of person. And again, will you invite Jesus to stretch you in that way? And then we'll close with this passage of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 2. And again, talking about Jesus and talking about his role in our lives and how Jesus is part of this story here. Because God's children are human beings, you and me, made of flesh and blood. Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could... D- could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death only this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying our desire to stay in the war in the in the in the orbit we're living in is because we had a we have that fear of dying all right and then not just dying physically but I'm, I'm afraid of dying financially i'm afraid of dying relationally all right we all know that jesus came to help the descendants of abraham that's us 
He came to help us with that kind of Abraham kind of lifestyle, not to help the angels. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, and I'll even add, which I think is consistent with Scripture, the leaps of faith that Jesus had to make in trusting his own father, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. When I'm being tempted to, no, I'm going back here. I'm going back here. Jesus helped us to say, no, it's worth it, and you can do this because I'm with you. All right? So when we take communion this morning, we take communion every week at Exodus. When we take communion this morning, Jesus said, this is my body and my, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. This, do this in remembrance of me. What we're remembering is, one, He's the pioneer. Abraham's a pioneer in one sense. Jesus is the pioneer, capital P, of taking that kind of step, leaving behind, in his case, uh, all the benefits of heaven and all the benefits of being God. And he takes that step, and he says, I remember that I'm going to be with you as you become these kind of people. And again, the end product is not just because we want to become big spiritual people. It's because we want to become big spiritual people who have increased capacity to pour out the life of God into the world around us, into Bloomington, Indiana, into our homes and in our neighborhoods. We want to see the community in our homes and our neighborhoods change because of the power of God in our lives. And that happens when we're willing to take those steps. So Jesus says, this is my body and my blood in remembrance of me. Take this into you. Take this confidence into you that I'm with you as you take those steps and leaps of faith. Here's how we do it at Exodus. Uh, Lucas will come up. We'll sing a couple more songs. As soon as we start the first song, you're welcome to come on up for communion. Uh, we don't dismiss by rows. We don't see who's up or down. We don't have anybody um, trying to figure out who's doing what. You're just welcome to come. And he's wel anyone's welcome who wants to follow Jesus in that kind of unconditional way. Again, it doesn't mean you have a perfect faith now. It means your desire is, I will follow him unconditionally into that kind of life. Right? We'll offer you the bread. You tear off a piece, offer you the cup. Just dip it in the cup. Don't try to drink out of the cup. Most people take it when they're right here. Eat it, I mean. Uh, although some can go, some go back to their seat and take it when they sit down. So it's your choice on that. We don't have any kind of um, Loctite protocol on that one. Um, then at the same time over there, I think the sign just fell down. It said prayer uh, over in that, or the double doors over there. The people over there who are willing to pray for you in that room. Um, and they'll ask you something like, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Could be related to what we've talked about today. It could be related to something totally different. But they're there for the prayer for you. Um, after you take communion, go over there and have somebody to pray for you. All right? Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Jesus, we're grateful that you are 